We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the 440th episode of the Miami Heat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Carlo Navas. And with me today, we have Nikias Duncan, legend, great host of the Dunker Spot, uh, all-around nice guy, celebrity at this point. He will deny it. Celebrity. <laughs> Darn right, will deny it. Ce- Absolutely not. E-celebrity? No. No, not E-celebrity. <laughs> Not a celebrity. Okay, can't, we'll get him to admit it one day. Can't accept that. I, I was waiting on statistician and pun master. Pa- I oh, I, I forgot. Yeah, statistician and pun master. You know what it was? You know, for those of you, I'm going to pull behind the curtain of today's episode. I have a chicken and potato in the oven. I uh, had a shirt that had holes in it because I was cleaning and also cooking. And uh, I told the class before we get on, I should probably change it to something presentable. I scrambled on uh, and then we started the show. So a little peek into into my scramble to get on here. But we're here. Status is Pun Master, e-celebrity, all that good stuff. Uh, shout out to everybody in chat. Remember, tonight, we tweeted out this earlier, we're doing a, a bit of a special double feature here on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash MiamiHeatBeat. If you are a pod listener and want to tune in live, be in chat, have fun with us. Uh, Streambeat, Frankie and Moose's uh, movie slash tv media pod uh they're doing a a a special live episode today i I think tiff is on Uh, a couple people are on from heat beat so you might want to tune into that they're going to talk about the uh the new black panther movie so stay on stay on lookout for that here on our twitch page uh tiff christian and alf wow alf doing a podcast that's not this you know even though he said he can't because he has a baby Hmm, interesting interesting okay well well, (laughs) i'll I'll, I'll bookmark that you know when we send out payroll um (laughs) lot to get into today, Nikias. Miami won. Arguably, that's their best win of the season, right? Yeah, that's that's up there. That, that's probably just the one. That's I think Golden State's like, still a good win. I mean, it is diluted by the fact that they lost to Orlando like two nights later. <laughs> the Florida trip just got them. 
the indie the indie would not look so bad, you know, <laughs> compared to some of the other. Well, the Blazers <laughs> went on the road. You know, beating beating Portland on the road, I think, is impressive. They look really, really Port- fun and really good. Somehow, uh, well, they they are kind of the opposite of Miami. They have wings for days. Yeah, it's fun to. I tweeted about this the other day. Like, it's fun that Portland has like athletes now. That's different. They can just kind of flow into a whole lot of different small ball looks. Like, we're I'm not doing the national thing today. We're very much talking about heat tonight. But Portland's been fun. They they're proving me wrong so far this season. We'll see if it holds up. Yeah, I mean, happy for justice, man. He could use justice. That 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 might be nice. Yeah, the justice vindication. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, when, useful. When he's hitting floaters against you, <laughs> you, you start missing him a lot. <laughs> uh, campaign missed a lot of floaters yesterday, and uh, I let, let's let's talk about the whole game. Uh, yes, we'll move into their defense. Let's talk about their offense first because their offense was uh, on fucking fuego. Uh, you know, one twenty-seven points per possession according to Clean the Glass yesterday. Uh, Caleb Martin, shout out to him, played exceptional, and and I think if they're going to go anywhere, Nikaias. They need him until, barring a trade, he's going to have to knock down those shots because if not, it's just three shooters you don't respect and one that Kyle is like, at this point, I think it's really changed to like it used to be, even if he's not shooting well, if he's coming off a handoff or a pick, you know, you got to step up to, eh, you know, maybe he could take a shot or two, you know, and it's so the fact that he's back up to 41%, you know, after he dipped a bit, small sample, of course, and everything. But I, I think first and foremost, you know, I think his performance, uh, especially shooting the ball, is what kind of made the difference. And I think is what's going to set the tone for this team going forward. We can bounce on both of those very briefly. Like, one, very proud of Caleb Martin getting behind the three-point line. That has been a very quiet <laughs> slow plot of this, of this season so far. <laughs> I, one, I am glad that the threes that he had taken are actually threes. That helps. But no, to your point about him making the shots, he has to do that because I think what makes him valuable offensively, like what makes him different from P.J. Tucker is just his ability to get downhill, right? He just has a level of athleticism, a level of snappiness off the ball that P.J. just didn't have. But that matters less if teams feel like you're going to miss threes or those long twos if his foot's on the line, or worse, if he's getting those kickouts and he's open and then he's hesitating before taking the shot and having those record scratches in the half court. So the fact that he was firing with confidence against Phoenix was a big thing. Making the shots obviously helps. And if he does get back to maybe not the 40% clip from last year, but if he does prove to be serviceable and he continues to fire with confidence, that's just going to open up the drives more. And I think that ultimately leads into helping Miami get back into their flow and back into the ball movement. Um, And that's where they were at their best last year when they were humming. Well, like PJ was different because, you know, he kind of became really good at that like little short roll to either PJ push floater or kind of like like short roll to pass to a cutter, which I thought was incredibly successful. And probably the thing that surprised me most about him last season, and it's a dynamic to their offense that I think they've missed a ton. I know that they're, you know, they're a really good assist to turnover team and they do move the ball. Last time I checked, they were top 10 in assist percentage. So I don't think kind of moving the ball around is a problem with them, but I just think that element from the corner uh, kind of helped their offense a bit. Nikias, Caleb's 55% at the rim this year, as opposed to 66 last year. So we talk about him getting downhill. That number has to go. That cannot be Fred Van Vliet levels of finishing. We need that. We need, we need that to go the other way. How did you sneak a Raptors take in here? Cause listen, I'm Freddie needs to fucking finish. That's, bro. It's, it's been, that's it's been too amazing. Long. Jesus Christ, man. You are a professional. Wow. Wrestle uh, <laughs> stamp, baby. Catch me on Wednesday, breaking down Raptors heat here on Miami Heat Beat Twitch after the game. 
for real though we're gonna do a post game show but yeah so the, his his finishing you what do you yeah, make of it like i don't know it, you i watch the games and it doesn't seem like yeah i don't know what happened there and he just ran a muck at the rim last year on both ends of the floor and this year that element is his, of his game is gone I don't know what to make of it. Because, like, he hasn't had, like, a health issue or anything like that to kick off the he year. He looks springy, too. So yeah, like, he just had, like, a – I want to call it a poster dunk. But, like, he's had some tough ones already this year, even with the low finish. So, I don't – I want to say it's just something that corrects itself as it goes on. Like, he has had some weird, like, double clutch type – try to finish over the contact of finishes that just haven't gone in. Like, maybe that just corrects itself. But – I don't know. I'm not super concerned. I'm more keyed in on the shot and his willingness to shoot from the perimeter. I think I trust the driving. I trust the athleticism. Yeah, I mean, I they just kind of. I guess my concern is that I think teams kind of are are kind of hunkering down a bit on on them, which they're taking. You know, which is good in the sense of they'll take more threes. But I, I do think that ultimately it hurts their finishing. I know Jimmy, um, finishing also down this year as well. Duncan is way down this year. Um, uh, as and Bam, I believe as well. Well, Bam got up to sixty-eight think, percent after last night, but it, it was kind of struggling. So, I do think that kind of that I know for sure Kyle struggled. Yeah, he's at fifty percent. He's in the eighth percentile for his position, which is again, yeah, dude, yeah, bad, like bad, bad. Uh, and they need the little rim pressure they get. They need to capitalize because they still don't force rotation. And if Caleb drives, that's still not forcing rotation unless it's Jimmy or it's Bam on a roll. Mm-hmm. So it's like I, you, you need that. You need it for sure. Do you want to talk about Kyle while we're here? We could talk about Kyle. Um, I wanted to talk about more feel good stuff in terms of the the, the Phoenix game because we are going to get. The, I I have a lot to say about Kyle, and a lot of it's not good. And finally, you guys are going to get me saying me things about Kyle. Um, oh wow! Real quick, because Jimmy was also you know Jimmy shooting. What do you make of that, bro? Because he's one of their best three point shooters this year. And I, I don't have numbers about it. I feel like he's taking fewer pull-ups and more spot-ups. And they're leaving him wide open. And he's taking them. And he had a few in that Phoenix game that I thought were really, really big. I know that he didn't have the big scoring night. Didn't even get to the free throw line that much. But kind of him having that as a relief foul for the offense, I think is enormous. Especially kind of him going forward with his age and the physicality that his game takes. I think it's encouraging that he's willing to take the shots and like cutting down the pull-ups I feel like makes sense but like they're I feel like they're less spot-ups and they're more just face-ups too from three where he's just yeah where like he gets the ball in the corner it's like okay well if you're gonna sag off and you're prepared for this drive let me just take this two inches off the ground off the ground jumper and cash it in so I mean that's a nice the Marcus <laughs> like it's a nice counter to have in the bag yeah that's a nice counter to have in the bag uh, I don't think we're ever going to see like five three point per game attempt guy Jimmy Butler. At least you I trust it though? You, we, you trust like where this is going? Like, do you trust it to to stay good? Uh, I'm kind of there, bro. Because it from I'm, last from I'm the playoffs. Optimistic. Yeah, like I'm kind of optimistic about it, especially the ones in the corner. I think for me, it's more so when Jimmy is taking those threes, because I feel like he's either capping off a personal like 13 two run. And he's knocking down the three, or the Heat have gone scoreless for two minutes, and now he's just taking one with 17 on the clock. It's like, I don't like that one. I get it, but I don't like that one. So I think situationally is kind of where I'm keyed in with him 
on that. But like for now, defenses are still going to be sagging off of him. They're going to dare him to shoot those. And if he has time to get himself together, like I think he can catch him from the corner. Like I, I'm optimistic about that shot. I've seen him do it sometimes when teams drop, because like you know when, when they'll run him and Bam and pick and roll, and if they don't switch that, I think it's something good to have. You know, if he kind of just walks into that. Not that I like him taking too many of those pulls, but I think if mm. if they're not getting switches, which I will say. I was really tough on them early in the year. I didn't. I thought they let a lot of guards get away with being on the floor and not putting them in actions. And I thought they did a, a much better job. I mean, even though I have critique of Jimmy getting Dame on a switch and then posting him up to take a turnaround, you know, seven that I have. But whatever. At least you're putting him in the action. I thought like campaign. They didn't let him get away with it. They found him a lot of times on the floor. Although they also looked for Mikhail Bridges down the floor. And he got bullied, and I think his lack of strength kind of showed there, uh, as a, as great as a defender as he is. Yeah, there's something to be made about Mikhail against these like strength based matchups because he's so good at mirroring guys. He's so good off the ball. He's very good at navigating screens. But if you do have someone that can just get into his chest a little bit, like you saw some of that in the Western Conference Finals against Luca, though Luca more so wanted to go after. Chris Paul, which hurt my heart, and also Cam. Yeah, you John. love more than family. Some family. Yeah, some family. Some family. Got to have that qualifier in there. But no, oh, it actually went after Cam Johnson a lot, and that was the one where Luca just bullied him. But you got to watch that, and I I can get understand why Jimmy would kind of key in, like, okay, Mikhail's good, but like, can he keep me from getting to my spot? Probably not. So that makes some sense. But to your point about targeting the small guys, like, I think that's going to be important. And zooming out with the Jimmy Bam pick and roll in general, I think is. I think it's a win anytime they don't see a switch. Whether it's a guard ducking under and they're in drop, whether it's getting two to the ball, which is really what you want if you're Miami, if you want to unlock some of those short roll opportunities for Bam. Or even if you reverse engineered in early offense, you have Jimmy screening and holding a guy while Bam tries to get downhill. Like if you can generate any kind of advantage with that, because that was the big question I had with Miami's half court offense heading into the year. Like the obvious one is will they shoot well enough? But beyond that, it's like, okay, these are your two best players. At some point, you have to find a consistent way to use them together in some sort of action, whether it's a handoff, an action leading into a post-up, a regular pick and roll. Find something that you can use with both of those guys that forces the defense to bend. And it's encouraging they're they're finding ways to engineer ways to move the defense. I think it's concerning. Like, you know, I think last year in the regular season matchup in Miami against Dallas, when they would run Bam, Jimmy, pick and roll, and then Kleba would switch on to Jimmy, and then that kind of, discombobulated their offense similar to Embiid as well um you know Embiid would switch on to Jimmy and that discombobulated that was, their offense that was, that was the one that was like really cool. jarring yeah um and then in the finals too I mean they they put AD on Jimmy or they would they would switch that and and credit to Spo kind of started running handoffs with Crowder really getting frisky over there but kind of <laughs> the the movement and I trust Spo to in a playoff series to move around that and I think he showed us but in the regular season I do think that kind of those lengthy guys have problems. And I think even in the first half, Bam looked, it looked a little janky against Aiton, you know, in pick and roll when Aiton would drop. A couple possessions where Bam dribbled off his shin. I think he was doing a little too much. I think they settled. And a lot of that I thought was Kyle doing a good job of kind of getting the pick and roll. And while I had a conversation with Ethan a couple weeks ago on Hangover Time where he's like, well, Kyle's not really getting by dudes anymore. And while he's mostly right, and I do think that his first step isn't, as like bleak as he makes it seem. I do think that Kyle does a good job of kind of getting you with the change of pace with that little hesitation 
and getting a guy on his hip, giving the roller enough time to create separation. And now you have a defense, you have a decision to make. And I kind of thought that's when Bam got going. Uh, But it's like kind of those elements to their offense that they need more of and kind of to your point about like getting a switch or not getting a switch. Yeah, I think it's going to be key for them to figure that stuff out. To the cow point, uh, like shout out Second Spectrum, they actually track like how often a guy is getting blown by or generating blow bys on drives. Like that number is a little bit down from last year. In which but, in which way? On offense or on defense? On offense. Okay. But he's not generating those blow bys as much. So there is some credence to that factor. But like even over the last 10 games, while the blow bys haven't been there, he is still, to your point, with the hesitation and just using the change of pace, he is still being able to get downhill and force some sort of rotation. Like a hedge or think, like a like a dig in off a shooter. Yeah. And that's all you need. Like for Kyle Lowry, you hope that he can just flat out puncture the defense. But if you can't do that anymore, if you can just if he can get by his guy enough to gain some inside leverage and force just a stunt somewhere, he maps the floor out very well. He's still a very quick decision maker. That's a kick out. And if the guy's off balance because of the stunt, then that's a shot or that's a drive. And that player may be able to punch your defense more than Kyle would. And ultimately that's what you're trying to get to if you're Miami in the half court. And so I was watching that Phoenix game and particularly in the first half, like Kyle was doing a, he was very intentional about getting downhill. Again, it wasn't pure blow by stuff. It wasn't 16, 17 Kyle Lowry in terms of the speed or anything like that, but you could see that that aggression was there. Now I would have liked that aggression to also transfer into the pull-up because there were some that he just flat out (laughs) passed on. But if it's going to be, he has to have at least one going. He needs to pull up going, or he needs to be intentional about getting downhill. So it was encouraging that he was getting downhill. He's streaky. And I don't think people uh, – I don't think Heat fans realize how how feast or famine he could be. And I think he's not – I don't think he's ever really been a guy that is going to, like, give you the consistent shooting every night. I think it'll it'll kind of come in waves, which is, like, natural. Some, I mean, even Steph has uh, stretches where he just doesn't make stuff, and then he'll make everything. And I, I think that's normal for a shooter like him. His attempts do feel down, and I do feel like he's hesitating a lot, and I think that's a bit in his head. And it's funny because last season he started off way worse shooting the ball. He's at around 34% this, which is not good, but, I mean, he was in the fucking 20s last season to start. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's And that's coming off the hamstring injury that, by the way, I thought it would look way worse coming into this season. Um especially, you know, given all the the discourse about, you know, his weight or whatever and and how he came into camp and all that, you know, stuff that was going on, but I thought, you know, at least in that in that sense he looked okay. Where he looks bad to me is obviously the jump shot. I think he's not he doesn't force a rotation as often. He like what we said he'll force like maybe like a little like a guy digging in on the drive or whatever kind of helping off a shooter, he'll make those decisions. I think the way that he gets to the mid range, I like like Gabe does that better than he does at this point. I, I'm I'm kind of like where they get to the free throw line. I don't think Kyle gets to those spots as efficiently as he used to, and mm. I think he has this kind of weird relationship with the role players that these guys are all not shooting as well as they did last year. Gabe Vincent, Max Ruse, uh, I guess Duncan's about the same or whatever, but Tyler, like in a, as a collective, their shooting is down. And if their shooting is yeah. down, you know, his play obviously is going to suffer because there's tighter spaces, they're less to worry about, and they're just like, okay, well, we'll just cut the head of the snake. Conversely, it's kind of his job to be the floor raiser. 
Like it's his job to make to have those guys shoot the ball better. And I know the numbers are like, well, these guys are missing a lot of open shots and they're going to start hitting them cuz like obviously Max is a good shooter and he's not he's going to get to around 40%. He's at 38 now. He's already kind of getting back. Gabe's going to get back there, you know. All these guys are going to get back up to the percentages that we know that they can get to, but I think some of that's on Kyle to to get them more comfortable and as a as obviously as you know resident Kyle Lowry lifer I can talk about well you know the lineup data and then I can finagle it be like but what about what are Deadman and Hero doing to it and at that point you're just excuse making and I could talk about every hit ahead pass I can but at the end of the day you know he's just not generating even the assists are down which is like the I mean it's kind of again it's coming back to life but to start it's been bleak but it is trending a lot better for him and it's funny that now as it's trending better I'm like talking about it more seriously but <laughs> uh but I do think that like you know he deserves a like he has accountability for what's going on what's going on with the offense offense is still not good and his line of data is horrible and it's funny because like EPM is a metric that really likes him and Raptor likes him I haven't checked LeBron but like advanced metrics are liking him war likes him and you look at like lineup data with him, Nikaias, they're worse with him on the floor. Like just raw, he's they're plus almost seven with him off, and they're minus two with him on. He and Hero, and I talk I've talked about this a lot. He and Hero together are bad. They're minus six. Kyle without Hero plus four. Hero without Kyle plus eight. You know? And I don't know what to make of this stuff. I, I don't know what to make of the the divorce between the metrics and the lineup data i don't know what to make about how how much he is improving and how much is enough for this team and he is already a polarizing figure so i know i threw a lot at you so you can, you can just kind of pick what you want let me i'm gonna find a comfortable place to jump in here i guess i start with i think it a lot of it does come down to the shooting like some of that is he has to shoot better some of that is the supporting cast has to shoot better some of that is kyle has to shoot because i think what makes some of the frustration more palpable with him offensively is like it's one thing if you miss seven shots but you've taken 16 or 17. it's another thing you miss seven shots you've taken 10. and of those 10 like eight of them come in the first two quarters or in the first three quarters and i was like well an 0-2 in the fourth quarter, he really stands out or something of that nature. So like, it is kind of a weird blend with him. I think I've had more issue with Kyle defensively than I have offensively. I'm sure we'll get here soon, but I think with the Lowry and hero pairing specifically, I, I would wager not looking at the lineup data right now. I can just pull up a tab right quick and be a responsible uh, guest. I, I got you, <laughs> but I would imagine that you feel I would imagine you feel the difference more on defense than on offense. 108 what offensive rating, 114, almost 115 D rating. Eee. Not what you want. And Hero without Kyle is a 109 D rating. Kyle without Hero is a 113. Yeah, like I just haven't felt Kyle defensively. Like I think the switching, the switching in general, I actually want to get your thoughts on the switching because we haven't had a conversation about this yet. But... <clears throat> I don't feel like Kyle has been as good in the switching system this year as he was last year. I don't know how much of that is just him doing worse against bigger players or just there has to be more accounted for because PJ isn't there and just the lack of size just kind of has a amplifying effect on the entire defense. But 
that's been weird. And now with Miami playing a little bit more drop, which I would really I'd like to talk about too. Now you kind of feel, oh wait, Kyle doesn't navigate the screens as well as he used to, which you expect that at this point of his career, but it's still kind of notable that it isn't as consistent as it used to be. So one thing I'll say about the lineup stuff before we get into switching is hero Kyle without Deadman, 109 D rating. So that stabilizes, you know, w- with Bam, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, as Bam does. He attracts, you know, um, and <laughs> uh, so th- that's that. The switching thing is interesting because they they still have him on bigger guys. Like, you know, they, they'll, they'll try him like he was on Mikhail a lot yesterday, right? They, they, and they're not really having him on on the guards. And I don't think he's built for speed. And I do think that teams are doing a good job of kind of getting him with matched up on, with the speed guy. That's why I think he's a lot – he's really good in the zone. Like, if you watch the, the Portland game, you know, as opposed to when they were switching, when he was in the zone, he's very intuitive on where to be positionally. And, like, anytime Dame thought he had a little space, like, just Kyle and his arms are there. So, I think that teams are screening him more, kind of making him get off the matchups that Miami wants. And they're putting him against speed matchups. And that's where I think it kind of goes awry, which is where I think my problem with their defense is. And I don't think it's squarely on him, but I do think that, like, they want him on, like, Middleton or guys like that. They don't really want him on Holiday or on uh, on Maxi, right? Like that's a that's a terror for him, um, unless he's just gonna like foul them and be really physical. And I think that that's might be the move that he has to do. I think he has to be a little bit more physical with these guys and not just try to play them straight up. Um, I, I think his charges are down too. Really, I just think like it legitimately, he's just a step late everywhere. And I think the switching is a part of that, which is why they've gone to a zone. Um, to kind of protect, not necessarily him, but just like he's now, he. I think he's like a neutral defender a lot of times. Sometimes he's a positive, but I think a lot of times he's a neutral defender. I think that's a fair read. And I think he was, would you consider him like a slight positive last year? Or was he just solid? I thought he was, I thought he was really good last year. He was just good I think last year. Any, okay. any metric you looked at, and I thought the eye test passed. But I thought last year they were very... Like, the help was so sharp. So if he did get beat, that rotation is right behind you. And whether it's Jimmy at the nail, and I know that, like, Jimmy at the nail gets a lot of love. I love Jimmy in the corner because the way that that guy covers space in and back out. Now, he's more at the nail this year, which is why I think that he's forcing a bajillion turnovers, which I understand the need because you need to juice your offense in some way. But I thought last year when, when they kind of had him kind of more on the corner guy, the way he kind of comes in on the rotation is just like incredible. So I thought that helped him a bit, but uh, I don't really know what the solution is for their defense. I think if, I wonder if they get a little bigger, if it helps them like a real wing. I think adding a real, it, it just feels so different this year. Because again, this is still a team that switches a ton. And even with Bam playing more in a drop this year, like as a whole, the Heat are dropping less than they were last year or dropping at a lower rate than they were last year. So like more of that usage has just gone, basically gone from Deadman last year. Now they have him at the level, which is an adventure a lot of the time, but sure. But that usage and then the Yurt minutes that we got last year, that that's basically gone to Bam. And we've seen that more over the past three games or so. Um, How have you liked that? Bam in a drop. Like I am intrigued 
I'm intrigued because I like I like it for Bam because he's being asked to do so much offensively. It is kind of wild to say, hey, Bam, we need you to be our elbow hub. We need you to be the post hub. We need you to self-create sometimes. Also, we need you to switch on to Damian Lillard 25 times a game. Like, he's good enough to pull that off, but it feels like an unreasonable ask. So, like, from that standpoint, it's like, okay, if you're asking him to do all of these things offensively, like, give him some sort of a reprieve. Also, Bam, I think, is a fine drop defender. Like, he needs to get better at it. It would be nice if he got more than six token reps on a, to- on a random Tuesday. So I like that he's getting more burn in that. But that's kind of where the intrigue goes away from me because now it's like, all right, if Bam's in a drop, screen navigation becomes more important. And that's where it goes into, okay, Kyle Lowry doesn't navigate screens as well as he used to, which, again, that should be expected. He has been playing basketball and has been good at basketball for a very long time. But it is what it is. Tyler Hero, when he was healthy, would you call screen navigation a strong suit of his? Probably not. Max Struess is actually pretty good at navigating screens, but like his recovery speed isn't there. That's just the Max Struess package. So that gets a little tough. Gabe Vincent, I think is probably, aside from Jimmy Butler, I think Gabe Vincent is probably the best screen navigator on the roster. And so you trust him in that, but then there's the other end where it's like, which version of Gabe Vincent are we getting with the ball in his hand? We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. And so it's just a weird mixing and matching there. And because the screen navigation is kind of inconsistent for Miami, they're still having to send a bunch of extra help. I actually wrote about this a little bit earlier today. Check that out on Basketball News. Nikaias wrote about Bam and a drop. I haven't gotten to read it yet because it got posted not very long before this, but I'm very excited. <laughs> Quick plug, boom. But no, so you're going into drop to, I think you conserve Bam a little bit. 
ultimately you want to run some guys off the three-point line because Miami's three-point rate was nearly at 42% um, heading into this last three-game stretch. Which Allowed? Yeah. Yeah, they were like second in the league when I checked the other day. And they were like, yeah. second fewest at the rim, which is just classic. That reeks of 2020, 2020-2021, that the finals defense team, that one, the defense reeks of that. Yeah. So the three-point rate was right too high. So that's a way to, okay, make the guy fight over the screen, force the ball handler downhill, get him in the mid-range area, and go from there. So, like, it helps from that perspective. If the screen navigation isn't there and the ball handler gets to lead the dance, you're still getting help from the corner or help from the wing, and that's leading to kickouts. And so I wrote in the piece, like, Miami's, in terms of three-pointer rate, in terms of the three-point rate allowed, it has been noticeably lower, but the corner three-point rate is still higher than it was before they went to the switch. So it's like you're allowing less threes but more corner threes. How much and, of that is how much of that is offensive rebound kick out? Uh I think it's less of that. I mean, that still factors in. Uh, the point I was gonna make is that some of that is like an example I used was a Mikhail Bridges jumper that he made in the first quarter last night. It's Kyle Lowry helping from the corner, but he's helping off of Tory Craig. So some of that number is gonna factor into Miami being smart, like, okay, we're not worried about this guy. I have more leeway to show help here. Yeah. And so you have to factor that in with some of Miami stuff because even with them giving up like mathematically sound shots or not so sound shots, they're still a very well coached team and they are a smart roster overall. So you may see a high number in terms of corner threes allowed or corner three share allowed. But if you're allowing it from Tory Craig or you're allowing it from insert mid corner shooter Justice here. Justice Winslow. Uh well, no, we don't have I to say you. that. <laughs> but if you're doing that, you kind of live with the number being high because you add in the context, then that makes sense. But just zooming out, the drop is not going to hit as hard as it could if the guys can't fight over screens and you're having to send extra help from the strong side corner anyway because it kind of defeats the purpose. Ideally, if the screen navigation is there and you trust Bam in the drop, it just becomes a two-on-two affair. Everyone else can stay home. It makes life easier for everyone. You force one of the 17 campaign floaters that he took last night, and then you have Bam underneath the basket to get rebounds. That's kind of the formula you want, and you know how good Bam is. He can grab the board and go himself, and we saw a lot of transition pushes in the fourth quarter last night. But if you can't navigate the screens and you're sending extra help anywhere, it kind of defeats the purpose of trying to simplify your scheme that way. I think it serves like a couple of purposes, too. I think it helps your rebounding because, obviously, they are – given up a lot of size they're one of the smallest teams in the league and i think the simplification and i think it just conserves bam as well i think it's just less difficult i and i'm also curious as to how many zone possession he plays because i i typically feel they, they run it when deadman's in but I, I imagine they run some of it with bam I, I do remember the blazer game ran a little bit with him but that's the that's what's kind of surprised me as i've been watching miami it feels like bam has played more zone this year and i feel like the zone was not necessarily exclusively for the second unit last year, but it felt like 90% of the zone reps came in the second unit. Well, because it was Tyler and Deadman and yeah. and Duncan yeah. or Max or like, you know, it was just, it was, you know, it was a little bad defender bonanza with Jimmy and, uh, you know, Jimmy go fixes instead of, you know, kind of stuff like that. So their defense is, is concerning. I don't know how much of it is bad three-point luck because do, they gave up a very high percentage as well. And some of that is is the guy yesterday was Dwayne something or other. I'd never heard of that person. 
Dwayne Washington. Oh, I'd never heard. No slander for the for the Pacers legend. That oh, was that's great. right. Wasn't that the guy that Indiana cut so that they can get Aiton, and then he ended up on the Suns. And yeah, and then they matched the offer sheet, and it's like, oh, God, that's so. Funny. Well, that's cool. So funny. Um, but that's what's kind of like been their principle, right? Like they're gonna they're gonna rotate off those corners, like and that's what they're gonna do, and then they're gonna rotate back out. And I I think that they have more. They also play in the past. I don't know if this is like a a coaching initiative or if it's just a Jimmy decides that this is what he's going to do. He's very aggressive in the passing lanes this year, much, much more than last year. And I think some of that contributes to as well. Uh, Cause at that point, you know, once, once he, once he commits, you know, he's not recovering enough and that ball swinging and it's going to find, it's going to find someone in a corner. How have you felt about Jimmy Butler's off ball defense this year? Oh, I think it's great. I think he's better than Bam this year on defense. I don't know if that's unpopular, but I just think he's been a he's been a menace on and off ball. And I think that the situation I think he has to play that aggressive off ball because their offense stinks and they need something in transition to get them going. And I think because they don't offensive rebound and they have poor shooting to start, they need something to juice their offense. And I think also it's unfair to ask Jimmy to put your head down and go to the rim and take contact, you know. 15 times for 82. So I think it's really smart by him. And I think the ones he misses, I don't think, I think we have to understand the context of what he's doing. He shouldn't be penalized, but I said this before, man, I think off ball at his best. He's like Kawhi on ball. He's a menace. He's incredible. And I think you saw with that Devin Booker play. Hey, the catch is hard, right? He just makes your life difficult. He's big. He's smart. He's really freaking strong. And, you know, for all we say about the two-inch vert, you know, he gets up when he has to. And, you know, he's been incredible on that end. Uh, I was w- with um, Troppy Baby Alex Toledo at the game yesterday, and he told me I was crazy. He said, they asked Bam to do so much that I'm being unfair to Bam. I just think Jimmy's been incredible. Okay, I can see it. Like. <clears throat> I don't want to penalize Bam because like a lot of my annoyance is not necessarily with Bam, but with the system when it comes to the switching. And so like, I don't want to penalize that. Like Jimmy has been really good. I will say like, there have just been some laps. It's like going through the Charlotte games in particular. There are some plays where, yeah, Jimmy goes for a steal and he gets burned. But like, there it, are also some plays where Jimmy's, <laughs> yeah. And there are also some plays where Jimmy's like, okay, I am just on this side of the court. And if they're running action somewhere, I'm just going to switch on to whoever comes into this area. Y'all got to deal with it. And it's just like, I get it. But also, like Charlotte ran, I want to say it was like Spain into an exit screen. And they, didn't, they ended up getting a layup from Mason Plumlee because <laughs> Caleb Martin had to cover for him on a switch because he just didn't move from the, I want to say, the right block. And it's like, Was that the second Charlotte game? Yes. So I'm just uh, like, I, hey, I, I, brother. I, did I, I missed that one. I was at a wedding. I was like, brother, that's not, you can't do that. <laughs> Scoot. Like, literally move. But also, he'll just have three steals at the nail. And it's like, oh, well, I guess you just, you eat that one because he's going to do incredible things off the ball. So I'm with you overall. He's had like uh, while we're four or five steal games. It's like incredible. Oh, he's insane. He is insane. While we were, you made a mention about the transition offense. Can we talk about the transition defense? Because that's been very weird for Miami this year. It's been better than I thought it was. So we had talked a little bit. Uh, we had a call earlier in the in the afternoon, and I was like, "Man, that's weird." They're like, they're, I thought they were bad, but like they're like not. I think they're like six or something. 
in transition defense. And it makes no sense. And I know Cooper Moorhead had tweeted because I was because at one point I was like, are they just like over crashing the glass? Because it just feels like dudes leak out and they get killed. And Coop's like, no, they're, the, the numbers say that they're not crashing the glass at, at a weird rate. They're just holding their ground and their defensive rebounding. And I looked on cleaning the glass and they're a solid transition team which I brought to our group chat and everyone's like, that makes no sense. <laughs> Frankie's like, Frankie's like, what about mid transition? Like we got, we need an answer. We're not blind. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's been, yeah, it's, it's just been a very odd transition for Miami. So I have pulled, I have cleaned the glass up right now. Um, as of the, today's Tuesday, if I can read my calendar before to heading into the Tuesday night slate of games. Miami was 10th in terms of points allowed in transition, which felt way better than what it's looked like just watching these games and eyeballing it. But the frequency is way up from last year. So they're allowing and even if you're looking runouts. at Yeah, allowing more runouts. Um, they are was it like plus two in terms of the league average. I think league average transition frequency is basically 15 and a half. It's 15.6. Roughly 18% of opponent possessions are coming to transition against Miami. So they're way above, not only are they bad, they're way above league average too. So that's been different. And I think some of that is just because their turnover rate isn't that much different than it was last year. I think a lot of that is just the threes aren't falling. And because the shots aren't going in at the same clip, teams just have more opportunity to push. But what I also think it highlights is just how small Miami is. Because last year, if they did miss a shot and you had just a starting unit out there, Kyle Lowry, strong dude. Max Drew, strong dude for his position. Jimmy Butler, strong dude for his position. PJ Tucker, cinder block. Bam Adebayo, strong for his position. If they miss, it's like, okay, let me just grab the nearest guy. Because more than likely, I can just navigate this matchup, and it's fine. And we're going to switch anyway. And I don't think they can do that to the same degree this year. Because if it's Kyle Lowry on the big, again, like they still trust him on bigger players. I don't think he's fared as well as he did last year. Caleb Martin is just not P.J. Tucker in that regard. So I think teams are being able to take advantage of the fact that Miami is, if they do just match up as quickly as they can, the mismatches feel worse on that end. And I think Miami is sending a little bit more help to deal with some of those. And I think that's leading to some pretty fruitful shot attempts. They'll, those haven't always fallen, which I think is the biggest reason for why Miami is not like 28th <laughs> in like transition defense more so than something that they're doing but that's what it's felt like to me how what have, what are your thoughts on the transition defense well for me it just and and i guess that makes sense what you're saying because part of the reason why i thought they were clash, crashing the glass so often is that it just felt like they were teams were leaking out a lot and i don't think that's a problem that they don't get back i also think they're kind of slow nikaias like yeah kyle's, part, kyle's yeah. not zippy jimmy's not even zippy you know bam is bam but, you know, and, and I think Caleb is like the guy, which is funny because they weren't really fast last year either. So and, and it just didn't feel like a problem. So I, I'm kind of coming to your kind of coming to your conclusions there. They. They don't get to the line as much as I would like as well, which kind of also helps. They don't offensive rebound as much either. To your point last year, they were, I think, the 10th offensive rebound rate in the league. And this year they're like near the bottom. They're they're abysmal and like. You said the lack of size kind of shows in those respects. I do think that, like, in theory, Caleb should be better 
in the in transition than than PJ. More than anything, as a disruptor at the rim and as an athlete, because like he can get up and down the floor quick, and he does make plays at the rim. He and Bam and Jimmy are the only dudes that. And even Tyler, to Tyler's credit, I think Tyler plays like really hard in transition, and sometimes like does some shit at the rim. And I'm like, whoa, I didn't know you had that in you, bro. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think I think we can say a lot of it is is kind of what you're saying and kind of the decline of other guys. I also think they're just playing kind of funkier lineups this season as a result of that. So it's like Gabe and Kyle is really small and they're playing a lot of that this season. You know, uh, Kyle and, and Tyler also very small, uh, even though they're both good rebounding guards. So stuff like that, I think kind of all makes, makes a difference is there, but the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I don't even think that that's like the main problem of their defense. I think it's like a cog. It just, there's something it's, they're playing better. Obviously you play Charlotte twice. You look good. You have a, good, helps, yeah. have a good win against Phoenix where I don't think that, their defense did tie up in the second half. I will say, cause in the first half, their defense looked abysmal. And you know, a lot of that was Bam and Jimmy being great, but they're missing that gear. And I'm not so sure that, one guy fixes that, and I don't even know what available guy fixes that, but it feels like they're not a bad team. They're not a great team. I do think that they'll get to, like, top four, top five, I should say. I don't I don't think they're going to be, like, a playing team or anything. I think that they're too good. They're too well coached, and there's too many bad teams. Like, people trying to say, like, I'll tank Orlando. You can't out tank Orlando. They're, they're pros at this. Who are you talking about? I mean, a bobo keeps playing like this. I don't know. <laughs> it should have been ours, damn it. Um, so stuff like that. And I, I kind of think that not having a, a real wing rotation affects this. Not having a real backup center. Because, I mean, we can talk about Deadman all we want and this and that. But that, the defensive rating with Deadman is like 130 when he's on the floor. It's crazy. You know what I mean? Like, so shit like, like, yeah, 123 defensive rating minus 11. You know, the fact that Caleb Martin's not a four, dude, you, we can, we could do whatever we want. That's not a power forward. And Jimmy's playing a yeah, lot of four too. So it's like, what are we doing? Can't, you can't say that part out loud. You know, Jimmy is playing a basketball position. That is not the one, two, three or five. We can't, we can't say he's a four though. He's he made a, that very clear. Yeah. He's he? a basketball player with a numerical uh, denotation. There. Got you. Poor, sorry, Jimmy. But to the <laughs> but to the Caleb Martin point, like no, he's not a four. Like it's again, it's just a different dynamic. 
to where you have PJ Tucker and it's like, all right, go chase these dudes or you know, punch above your weight. Well, Caleb Martin is, hey, we need you on this point guard, which he can do. Like that's his best utilization of the skill set. But even with Miami being a small ball team, like it just makes it different. Yes, because now you just in have in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. And like they're <laughs> like they have him as the four, but like defensively, he's more of a two or a three. He's more of a one than he is in four defensively. They love him on guards. Like they use him on Steph all the time, Dame all the time. Like those guys, those those guys with the pull up threat, especially. That's where it makes sense. But when you're swapping out PJ Tucker, who could defend fours or or some fives, and one, you basically put yeah, and one, and you basically swap him out with a defensive wing for all intents and purposes. That load that PJ took on last year, it has to be replaced somewhere, and that's. Sometimes Kyle Lowry, which he's not PJ Tucker as much as he pushes above his weight. It's Jimmy Butler sometimes. He doesn't want to do that. And ultimately, you don't really want him to have to do that during the regular season if you can help it. Like Bam can cover a lot of holes for you, but also he's the biggest guy on the court. So if he's having to navigate the fours, who the heck is on the fives? And so it's it's just a weird thing that they're having to adjust to. Again, this is this is to your point, a very well coached group. This is overall a smart group. So, like, as we get to December, January, we might be looking at this like, huh, Miami's seventh in defensive rating. What were we talking about back in November? But they always but do that, for dude. Now, yeah. And it doesn't make sense. And we watch it. Like, I remember um, the the year after they made the finals, they were – I think they were, like, eighth in, def- in defensive rating. And Tiff would be like, that numbers that, – that, that doesn't make sense. They stink at defense. <laughs> That's, I'm sorry. They just stink at defense. Like, I don't care what the number says. And I think part of that is, you know, regular season – You'll beat up on the Knicks a lot and the Hornets and stuff like that. And then, you know, you'll, you'll play. But again, I mean, Phoenix shredded them in the first half, but they, they, they hunkered down the second. Their high end on defense is really strong. And I do think like in bursts, these guys, I mean, obviously Bam and Jimmy like locked in, you know, switch everything, you know, with Caleb and everything like they could help. I would like them. They did. I mean, you have to like double smartly. I do think I would like to see a couple more, some more traps just to kind of, at least force passes so that you can get out. Like you could try to force turnovers. I don't hate that. I, I think that, I mean, but I, they probably want to protect the rim as well. Um, just mix in some different looks. Cause they're just not, there's no, there's no bite to the defense. And a lot of people talk about like their identity or whatever, which I think is kind of like a stupid thing to talk about, but I do mm-hmm. think they have a point in which like, well, like you can't hang your hat on defense when, what are they like? 15th in defense or something like you know or maybe worse after last night uh you know what do you what are you really good at and you know everybody kind of looks around like i don't know like nothing <laughs> you know like remember a couple like last week it was like the knicks were like 15th in net rating 15th in, in offense 15th in defense bro that's us <laughs> you know what i mean like that's do, do you want a funny cold you want world? a funny stat about the defense right now what so Miami right now, they are 20th in half-court defense, 97.1 defensive rating in the half-court. Do you know what their defensive rating is against top 10 offenses? It is 94.1. <laughs> like overall or just half-court? In the half-court. Okay. Three points better in the half-court against top 10 defense offenses. If these motherfuckers just get up, bro. I, I, <laughs> I seen you. What do you do with that? But, like, I don't know, bro. They, I don't think they can have, like, they have a little bit of that. Because, like, I think that they think they better than they are. 
but they have to know at this point. Like it just, and and like Leif talks about it, the vibes are off. Something does reek about this unit. I do think people are like way blowing it over proportion. I also like look at it differently because I really felt last year they were going to win the title. And when your starting Hall of Fame point guard has a hamstring explode, when your starting Max is has a lower body injury, PJ has a lower body injury, and Jimmy misses games in a fucking conference <laughs> finals with an injury, you know, and Hero missed games, you're going to lose. You know what I mean? And, yep. okay, Robert Williams was out, but the Celtics dealt with Robert Williams being out for a long time. They figured stuff out without him. Miami didn't have those luxuries. And, like, when he got – when Kyle got hurt against Atlanta, I felt that their their season ended there because – and I really, like, the whole build ends there because, you know, you're not going to get – like, Jimmy wasn't going to get much better than he was last year. You know, Kyle wasn't going to get any better than he was last year. And at that point, I was kind of at the – well, bam is bam. Like, maybe he might add a thing here or two, but that's about who he's going to be at least for a while. Maybe he takes a Tatum leap at some point on offense i have seen no indication that that's coming i don't know if you have he kind of is what he is at this point you know barring something huge so i watched that playoff run and i'm like yeah that was that was it and when they didn't win i was like well that was the build you know you you sign a guy for three years and you overpay on the back end because you're trying to win a title now with a bunch of dudes that are in their 30s and when they Mm -hmm. get hurt you go whatever and they got unlucky twice Dragic. And Bam went down in a finals against the Lakers that I had favored to win. You know what I mean? And shit happens. You get, you know, a bunch of players hurt in deep playoff runs. And what can you do? And maybe that's why I, like, look at things differently. And everyone's, like, all panicky and, like, upset. And I was like, eh. Like, you know, whatever. It's got to you take your swing and <laughs> you get on third base instead of the home run. Like, Am I wrong? Gotta, I don't know. Like. like should I and then like if people are mad because they're like, why didn't they go after Jeremy Grant or Laurie Marketin? And I was like, well, like the Laurie Marketin thing, like they don't have a fucking ton of cap space to maneuver. So if you're gonna sign Laurie Marketin, that's like the last thing you're gonna do for like four years. You gotta be fucking sure that that guy's gonna be good. And I don't even I'm not still not convinced that that guy can play at the end of an important game. Because if you play him at the four or the five, he's gonna get targeted every fucking time down the floor, and you're taking Bam out of actions. And the the Jeremy Grant thing. It's like, yeah, okay, he's having a great year. Congratulations. Were you really sure that he was going to be a good shooter? Because, again, if he's not a good shooter, you know, you have – you see the games when Caleb doesn't shoot? That's what your fucking offense looks like. And I'm like, you can't be – you got to be sure when you sign these guys. And a bunch of guys that you're like, I'm 60-40 on if it's going to work out. You as the Heat, when you have – like, you're capped out into hell. You got to resign the guys that you draft. You try to throw your hands up and you're like – we don't have decisions. We got to make a trade and we got to get someone that's on the cheap and we got to navigate the middle. We can't be taking these swings at these guys. So like that's kind of, I think the disconnect between where I am and fans are in terms of like what's going on with them. I definitely understand that viewpoint. I think I guess to have the broader conversation about the heat's construction and where they're going. Like, I think that's where some of the frustration comes in when, how would I, how can I phrase this? Like, the Heat are weird because they nailed the margins in terms of finding undrafted guys or second-round guys. But then when it comes to, like, we talked about this on the timeline in group DMs, just in person, like the Derrick Jones Jr. year. 
why did you not try to land a second or something for Derrick Jones Jr. when you knew you weren't going to resign him based on what the roster looked like and what you were going to be aiming for that offseason? And so, like, you have enough of those add up. Careful. Like, you don't have with, to you're gonna agree with Hot Take Harry. Careful. <laughs> hey, man. He, <clears throat> like, I, I kind of feel him on, on that. Yeah, yeah for sure. And so, like, when you don't have those, it makes it even more, to your point, it makes it even more important to nail the move that you are going to make. Which they did with And I PJ. think the other side is, yeah. And I think the other side is like, okay, this wouldn't have to be the move if you had more assets or if you had more in the cupboard to move around. And you would have more of that if you were more willing to, you know, for lack of a better way to phrase it, sell high on some pieces. So, like, they're going like, to have really that with Max. Max and Gabe this year, they're up. Yeah. And, yeah. like, Christian and I were having that conversation at the arena. Like, do you pay them? Like, what do you pay them? I mean, certainly, you know, with the cap going up in a couple of years and all that, like, I, I, do you have to keep them? Should you move them? Like, I don't think anybody thinks they're winning a title. Uh, Tiff says, don't you be talking about Max. But these are the decisions <laughs> come February. And we all know that they're not going to sell. They're never sellers. So it's like, but like, should they? And I think, like, I think in some cases, like, I think, like, I hate to pick on DJJ, who's actually had some fun flashes in Chicago this year. But, like, I think there are, there have been examples, like, the DJJ thing was just obvious. You do that. I think you we all knew that they just were just not interested in signing him. And we saw them play playoff yeah, like, games. that was obvious. Like, yeah. get something. Like, there are cases like that. With Max Strews, Gabe Vincent, like, that's going to be a little bit more complicated. Um, <clears throat> and I that kind of goes back to Duncan. Gabe's easy because I think you can re-sign him at a reasonable deal. I don't see them being a huge market for him. He's just kind of like he has career backup written all over him. That's not a bad thing. He's a very good player. He's just not going to, you know. So I think you can you can figure out a number. Max is like a legit starter who can do more things than shoot. Yeah, like you can like you could make the argument that Max should just be starting right now well, if you want to I mean, have that conversation. There, but... <laughs> We, let's close with that. Let's 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 we'll close real quick with that because I know I'm keeping you a little longer. But yeah, but continue and then. But no, I was going to say like to your point, like Max is going to be a little bit more difficult because I think he legitimately can just start for you. He did start for you last year. I don't know. Like on one hand, that gives you more to sell high on, but on the other hand, that's a really good player and a very valuable one. But what are you becoming getting? valuable on both ends? You're, what are you getting a pick from like 19 to 25? Like, what does that do you? Uh, that's just how like, I look I think at it. Give, no, I get that. I think it gives you something more cost control because even when you make the Struce bet or the Gabe Vince event, when you first bring them in the building, those were what two year deals? Yeah. Well, they do like the and one. Then and now you're Andy likes a one and one thing where, like, you know, where they don't have yeah. like the, yeah. Yeah, so like if you're not getting, especially if you're not getting like the full bird rights on top of that, like I would just rather have four years plus restricted free agency rights on a rookie and the organization has drafted well. Like for long term, long time heat beat listeners, you know how I felt about the BAM pick when it happened. Then I watched him play five minutes in summer league. I was like, well, shoot, never mind. <laughs> and then the time of hero thing as well. So like they, the organization drafts well. Like I'm pretty high on what Yovich is gonna be. They missed a a first round pick, and I mean, was I mean, I guess Precious is up for debate, but like even Precious, I think is gonna be fine. Like Precious just didn't make sense for this team. Precious was not Maxi, which was Urbane, which was like you know the egregious part, but like whatever. 
Yeah, like I just didn't. <clears throat> that one I didn't get. It was less about pressures and more so like, okay, Bam is playing 34, 35 minutes. Five Bam. That is locked in. <laughs> if you're not playing them together, why are you using this pick when there are more pressing needs on the roster? Yeah. That's where I was. Which was pressures. a guard. And I was. Chat yeah. saying Wizzle was a super miss. Justice Wizzle is going to be in the league like 10 years, and he played for playoff teams and good teams. That's not a miss. Whether he's a star <laughs> or not is a different story. But if Shabazz Napier was not a miss. He played in the league for like fucking seven years. He was a good rotation NBA player, as Winslow is. You guys got to stop. What are, what are, what are people like, doing? It's like, I don't think Justice was a miss. I think there were better players picked after Justice. Like, that's very that's very clear and obvious. And that's a fair thing to say. To say it's a miss would signify that Justice was, like, bad. Yeah, they, they call and him like, Bustis, I don't think which is not bad, you know? Yeah, like, he just wasn't that. So I, I can't go there. Obviously, I'm also, like, one of the worst people to have that conversation with. But objectively, I don't think it was that. Um, <clears throat> but to the Strews point, man, like, I kind of think you have to. He's so he's so good. He's been better than he was last year, even with I, the three-point percentage dipping a little bit. I know. And he um, he should get more money than Duncan. I don't know if he will. I think the Bertans and Duncan might have spooked people into giving kind of deals like that. Because uh, those guys, you know, were like really hot shooters, right? That were kind of came out of nowhere, got huge deals, and then really just disappeared and stopped starting. And I have no... I mean, so like, I think what helps Max in this case is that he has already proven to be much better defensively than both of those guys. Like we just saw him on and defense athletic. on the Eastern Conference, but yeah, we just saw him on defense in the Eastern Conference Finals series, Surviving. where Boston continuously tried to go up. Yeah, and like he was fine. Like no one would call Max Strus elite, but like he's solid. And again, if you're going to be a switch heavy system, like I trust him more. I trust him a lot more defensively than I do Tyler Hero, in particular. I definitely trust him more than I trust Duncan Robinson. <laughs> so I think there's, <clears throat> which you know, all respect to those guys, but. It kind of is what it is on the defensive end. So I don't know. That's going to be that's that's a tough one. That's a tough one. But we're reaching the same crossroads. So if we fast forward to July and Max Drews has a four year, seventy million dollar deal with Miami, and then he starts the season shooting thirty six percent from three next year, then it's going to be like, why didn't you trade him? And we're going to be right back in the same. And it's like, but what do you do? It's like you know, you need him, and and like, do you punt? Do you get a first? I don't, I don't, you know, do you get a first and. A guy that can help a, a four. I don't know. And and those are the and like his contract's not really getting you anything either. So it's like and they're capped out and obviously the hero extension is gonna kick in and they like to keep their guys and move them. And to the, listen, I know that everybody hates that summer where they signed all those guys. All those guys got moved, and those guys plus a first got you Jimmy, Jay, and Andre. And the they, finals made, they made the finals. You know, like they got rid of all those guys. With one first round pick, mm -hmm. which that still bothers me because they literally sent the Clippers a player that they started. I will never not be mad at that. <laughs> they fucking sent Mo Harkless, and the Clippers are like, "Yeah, we'll start him and a first round pick." And I was like, "Well, fuck you guys, you know." Just as I'm, I'm, I'm never getting mad. But they got, you know, Love. they got rid of all those guys, and they always tell you, "We'll get rid of these contracts. We won't pay them all out." I guess it's just the in between area where, like, you know, you're kind of like right now you're locked, you know. And the big Duncan money hasn't kicked in yet. You're still on the low end of the salary. So much to think about. Nikias, real quick, I'm unfair to put you in the spot. Um, you know, they're the starting lineup with Max, uh, they're plus a million. Uh, and the starting lineup with Hero, not as good. 
real quick, what do you make of that? Because I know we're way over. What do you make of that uh, and how, how we spin in this narrative? Uh, I mean, I think part of it is those minutes coming, especially as of late, they're coming with Tyler out of the lineup. And so when you get to play Charlotte's defense twice, like that obviously helps. But just conceptually, like it feels a little bit better. Like it feels like there's a little bit of flow. Like I was talking about this on the latest episode of the Dunker Spot where I'm like, hey, Tyler Hero entering the starting lineup, he should get easier looks, should take some pressure off on the second side. That should be cool. And like if I remember the numbers off the top of my head, like 42% of his threes have been assisted on this year, and that's lower than last year. I'm like, wait, that doesn't make sense. I think 33.4% of his twos were assisted on last year, and he's at 33.3 this year. How did that happen? when you wow. are playing with better players <laughs> like how does that happen and so like part of that is just there's going to be an adjustment period he's playing with the starters more he's going to be seeing better competition at the start of games like there's just going to be an adjustment period and it's been like he's played what nine games this year and now he's been out with ankles so you're gonna have to reintegrate him and all that good stuff so this is not a def- uh, definitive Tyler Hero as a starter doesn't work argument. That's unfair to make. No one should be making that in good conscience. I will say, just in terms of turning it around quicker, quicker and trying to balance the lineup, <laughs> it makes more sense for Max Drews to start. Sick and it just ship. does. We got choices to make. <laughs> like, it, from that perspective, like it just makes more sense Their to go with that Their defense is a little better. The size is a little better. You know, the re- well, okay. Yeah, and then you don't have to worry about Gabe Vincent making – 80% of your decisions off the bench because that's not what he's best at. Gabe Vincent should be t- attacking the second side of an action. He should not be bringing the ball up and making primary pick and roll decisions. That's not him. So if you get Tyler to do that and Gabe can play off of that, that makes more sense. Like just from a lineup balance perspective, that makes sense. Now, of course, Tyler Hero won six man of the year last year. He got big money. He's obviously a very, he's obviously a good basketball player. He is a good, he's good enough to start. And so I don't know what the locker room dynamics of that would be. So we probably don't see him go back to the six man role. But like, if you're just asking me and we're 2King it, like I would, Tyler, you get 30 minutes, you get to close games, but I am starting Max Struess. That's where I would go. I think we're on the same page there, but you know, obviously we know agents call coaches really upset a lot and that's how that rolls. A couple rapid fire things and we'll get out. Robert Covington out of the Clipper uh, rotation. Uh, would you, would you take him here? Uh, Yeah, I'd, I'd be in on that. Even, even with know. the well, suspect shooting? Yeah, like, I don't worry too much about that because he's going to get the shots up. And also just what he can do defensively as a guy that can cover ground for you, like I think. And even if Miami wants to ramp up the pressure, we talked a little bit about the second unit where they're playing dead in its level. Having someone like Robert Covington to clean up on the backside would certainly help. Even though they switch so a I ton be- and he's very, like, famously not a great on-ball guy. I'm I'm fine with that. I don't think he's bad on ball. I think I think people just out of control. Yeah, I think people saw that Robert Covington was good on defense and he was rangy and just assumed he's an elite on ball defender. He's never been that. He's always been fine and then ridiculous off the ball. And I think he's still fine on the ball and and just very good defensively off the ball. Um, Rashawn Holmes uh, cleared of uh, of some stuff that he had in his personal life. Uh, would mm-hmm. you take him? Would you? Would you? Would you take a look at that as a as a real backup five with um, with with all the stuff with Yurt and and obviously you know Deadman in the mud. Uh, like I would do that. Like he's he's too good to be getting DNPs in Sacramento, which Sacramento's been fun this year, by the way. Y'all should catch some Kings games if you're up on Harry, these coasts. Anyway, B, who stinks now? 
I was about to say, I, I would not trumpet that name right Stop now. Stop slow, baby. Stop. He needs a little culture. He needs a little. I've been quiet uh, this see, year. This is, this is how you win. You wait until the praise is no longer 23% from three? Christ. That's Kyle last year. Out. I'm telling it's been it's not Ooh, been great for uh, for Harrison Barnes. Yeah. But hey, if you can slide it into hey, Duncan Robinson, he's driving with more force this year. Here you go. Okay. Last this thing. Is the, this is the time to try to cash that in. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Last thing before you get to general NBA question. I just thought it was funny. I wanted to ask you. Better player. Okay. Better player right now. John Morant? Shea Gilchrist Alexander. Uh who? Mm, I probably That's going to be a fun one Huh? Yeah, I, qu- I quietly want to go Shea to be completely honest I do too bro I was looking at the numbers and the shooting percentages And I was like they better do something now Because this guy is good Look I have been <clears throat> I'm, I, I just love watching Shea play basketball man I, I've been watching the Thunder for like the last three years And I just get the sickle tag for watching the Thunder But like they've been doing interesting you are. stuff for a minute <laughs> You are <laughs> Is Giddy good? I'm just is Giddy good? Uh, he's not good yet. Like, I would like for him to be able to dribble inside of the free throw line consistently. That would be cool. But, like, the, he's he's already, like, a top five skip passer in basketball. So that that's fun. What but he this thought Thunder group, is going they, they, inside they Thunder. Hey, man, you bring me on the podcast. This is what you're going to get. I'm sorry, dude. So you go, you, man, you, you go SGA. So you go SGA. Shea's been so – like, I go – I think I go SGA with how they start the season so – so far also Shea is playing defense this year I know he's back to playing defense that's kind of been the one thing where I'm like I love watching him on the other end but like the apathy off ball it's just been met. he's been locked in this year he's been guarding up switching on the bigger players been doing his thing making plays off the ball and then you add in the driving it's oh man I can go I can I can do an entire pot on Shea I mean, we're approaching, I mean, like, you know, he's at 90 at the line, 38 from three, 66 at the rim, like, you know, 49 in the mid range, just killing it, you know, playing, you know, plus yeah. on defense, EPM has him plus on defense. I think he has one of the highest EPMs in the league, uh, estimated plus minus, by the way, the Dunction threes analytic, okay. one of my favorites. Yeah. He's, uh, he's fourth behind Ooh. KD, Luca and Curry. Yeah. Like I wouldn't say he's fourth, but like he's I think he's just been a top 10 player this year. It's been crazy. He all NBA campaign and the Thunder are not as uh they're fun to watch and they're not uh they're not so easy. They're they're going to get some surprise wins that, you know, in the early season it looked bad and it might not look so bad uh looking back on things. Vindication on Vindic- the Thunder and not have Having their TNT game taken away, you could have just saw. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. I'm not gonna hold you. <laughs> oh, your favorite inside the NBA and Kaisa's favorite topic or Turner in the NBA. They listen. You might get rid of them. It looks like this is how you win. Oh, God. this is There's so much win. going on right now. So much going on. Thank you, guys. Duncan, guys, tell the people what you have on basketball news and what's going on with the Dunker Spot, where they can find you, and and and, and uh, what what you have in the works. All right. Well, you can follow me on Twitter as long as you can still log in um, at Nikai's NBA. You can find <laughs> you can find the Dunker Spot on all podcast streaming platforms. Um, in terms of articles, you can find those on basketballnews.com. Again, I wrote a piece earlier today about Bam playing more drop coverage over the last three games. Quick stat. 
he has been he's defended more pick and rolls in drop over the last three games than he has since the Eastern Conference Finals in 2020. Like that's what we're talking about here in terms of the rarity right now. But we got that coming. We're going to be more general NBA stuff coming on the site. Um, every Saturday I have a piece called Screen Time where I'm looking at who set the best and worst screens of the week. Very nerdy, very inside, but it's just me. Um, beyond that, it's just watching a whole lot of hoop and trying to make sense of it all. So follow along. Let's have some fun. We love to see it. Best in the damn business, the Kaius Duncan. I will see you guys tomorrow pre-gaming for Heat Raptors at 7 p.m. sharp, and I will be doing post-game with my lovely co-host at 8.30 in 17 minutes. We have StreamBeat live here. Catch Moose, Tiff, Frankie, Christian, and Alf. I still don't like Christian and Alf doing pods and not here, you know, but it is what it is uh, <laughs> as, they, as they review the newest Black Panther movie. Guys, I know nothing about Marvel. I have not watched a Marvel movie since, I believe, Iron Man 1. So it's been a minute. I have no idea what's going on, but uh, I'll be watching. Y'all be watching. Stay tuned, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow or after this. Peace out. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.